Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Ed. Oh, my God. I can hear you, too. Excellent. I've gone and stole my wife's computer, and I'm using it for now. <laughs> okay. I thought I thought it was going to be a, a, a fail today, but uh, you pulled it out. You know, I had just uh, given up, and I was sending you a note saying, I give up. I can't do it. Uh, and then I'll try my wife's computer tomorrow. And I said, what the hell? I'll give it a try tonight. And it worked. <laughs> now, the only thing is, we're almost an hour later than we were supposed to start. Is it too late for you? Uh, no, that's all right. I don't have anything going tomorrow. I was thinking it was 11 o'clock anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then uh, let's get her started. Here we go. Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, July 29th, 2023. It's just before 3 UTC as we are starting to record, which means it's uh, just before 8 p.m. for me, Sam, on the West Coast. And uh, this week we have Ed with us, who is on the East Coast, and it means it's just before 11 p.m. for him. Uh, Yvonne is once again out. Uh, I gather he's actually back from the tropical island now, but he anticipated being out for two weeks because uh, uh, he was on vacation. And I, I guess he's back because he's talking about he on, a, on our Commission's Corner Slack. He's talking about his, how his computer died and stuff. So that's going to, you know, whatever. Like uh, he's taken a few more days to catch up, I guess. So we have Ed with us. Hello, Ed. Hello, hello. And as usual, when uh, we have a guest, the guest determines most of the agenda. We're going to have a pseudo, but first, and we'll get it back into that in a second. Uh, And But then our three major sections, um, we're going to talk about RFK Jr. We're going to talk about the new uh, superseding indictments whatever it's superseding. Is that the right word? Anyway, the new Trump indictments, which were not the new Trump indictments that we thought might happen this week. It was something different. And uh, finally a change in what the UCMJ, what does it stand for again, Ed? Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uniform Code of Military Justice. There we go. Uh, So those are going to be our topics for today. And so first off in this, um, we'll get right into the initial thingy bop. Um, And that's, uh, we would normally do a movie. Ed, Ed was like, I have a movie to talk about. He went and saw Oppenheimer. And I'm like, you know, I've actually been thinking about whether or not I would pause the movie reviews until the 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 writers and actors strike is over. Now the writers strike has been going on for a while. Um but they they you know there wasn't as much debate about it once the actors went on strike. I've seen all kinds of media with like details about what they would or would not consider you know crossing the lines for the strike and they did say reviews are okay if you're like a journalist doing a review and blah, blah, blah. We're not really a journalist. Their influencer guidelines are 
you shouldn't do anything about movies from the struck companies. Um, I'm not really in, this isn't really an influencer kind of thing anyway. And they, they were like both paid and unpaid. Like you finish any contracts you have, but don't do organic stuff either. And so I, I figure like, you know, we have a really small audience. We don't really matter. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I, I support the strikers. And so I don't really want to do, you know, reviews for the big struck companies. And like even my old stuff, like my, my, the, the one that I would do next is Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. But if I remember correctly, that's Warner brothers and Warner brothers is one of the, uh, strike struck companies. Um, and so I'm like, you know, maybe I'll skip that one. I have a couple books in the queue too, but Oppenheimer definitely is, you know, one of the struck companies and it's a new one and blah, blah, blah. And I know some of you out there are going to think I'm silly for even thinking about this, but I figured, you know, I can, I can pause the movie stuff until the strike is over. It's fine with me. Um, and of course that means I'll be catching up forever, but whatever. But Ed said, well, why don't we just talk about the strike itself instead? So let's do that, Ed. Um, now, now the one thing, uh, first of all, just what is the issue in general uh, for both both the writers and uh, the actors? Um, one aspect is obviously just salary, residuals, etc. Um, the big part of that for both of them really is that the streaming platforms pay much, much less than previous modes of distribution. So like when people were buying like DVDs uh, of the old movies or, uh, or certainly theater experiences, et cetera, et cetera. But like the long-term residuals for music and TV, et cetera, um, are much less on the streaming platform than they were when things got played in reruns on actual television or cable, uh, much less than uh, DVD or Blu-ray sales, et cetera. And basically, uh, you know, actors are just not able to make the kinds of living they were before. And one of the, and, and writers too. And one of the things that um, is, was brought up is like, especially with the actors, like you immediately think, Oh my God, we're talking about a bunch of rich, famous people. And that is not the case at all. Uh, like there are a few of those. And they're sort of headlining. You see them a lot in, in when they're doing interviews or on the picket line about the strike. Um, but actually most of the people represented by these unions are people who make much, much, much less. I mean, we're talking everything from, you know, the person who's a background character who shows up on a few episodes of, of a popular series but isn't one of the big stars 
or or even or or a or a headliner even on a less popular series they don't make that much and then you get down to the extras and people like that and apparently a huge portion of the people represented by the actors union don't even meet the it's it's like $28,000 a year or something that's the minimum for them to get health benefits and things like that uh and so it's not just the rich famous actors it's it's all these other folks too um and so one issue of course is the residuals, the payment, the money, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then both the writers and the actors also have concerns about AI. Uh, um, and specifically, the movie industry, the TV industry, all of them are very excited about uh, the developing AI technologies. On the writing side, they're like, hey, can we just have like, chat GPT or whatever chat GPT evolves into over the next five to 10 years, write our scripts for us. You know, like they're getting kind of okay. They're still not great, but in some cases, okay, maybe good enough and they're getting better fast. So like if we can, if we can do this and we can just ask some AI program, write me an episode of a sitcom and it does it, then we don't need all these writers and with actors they're saying, you know, Hey, we can, we can scan the image of a person and then just tell the AI, Hey, (laughs) uh, make a scene where this guy there right now they're talking about background characters. They're talking about like a, you, you scan an extra and then you can make crowd scenes and people in the background walking around using that person's likeness. Um, but honestly, there's more to worry about that than that. Like you, we've already seen um, use of smart AI techniques uh, to do deep fakes, uh, to have dead actors, uh, um, show up in new movies, you know, um, no. because you you basically take their face and you paste it onto another actor who's doing it. But frankly, at, at, it won't be long before you don't need the other actor that you're pasting their face onto even. And, the, you know, they de-aged uh, uh, Indiana Jones for the most, or they, I guess they de-aged Harrison Ford for the for major portions of the new Indiana Jones movie they've used, uh, you know, like I said, completely dead actors in movies. Um, and right now they sort of still paste their face onto somebody else kind of, but they won't need to do that. You know, it, give it a few years. They'll just be able to say, you know, plop hand solo into the scene and have them walk around and done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that uh, both the writers and actor unions are very worried about are what exactly are the rules around AI? Yeah. Um, well, the other, the other use of my, I, I heard about today is to uh, say you have a real popular commercial, like, you know, like the, the, the comment they gave was flow on the one insurance thing. Yep. Yep. Uh, who's doing real well. And some other insurance company, uh, captures her, from from back when she was an extra getting a hundred bucks a day and and she sold her image for a hundred bucks. They take that image of her, 
start their own ads because it's not her, so it's not a, under a contract, and uh, not only uh, hurt her company's sales, but also kind of destroy her career because she's saying things that she does wouldn't maybe say otherwise. And it's it's destructive as well as not be vague. Yeah. And, and most of the concern I've heard so far has been about that kind of use. Like, like if, if, if you scan somebody when they're early in their career and they're an extra, and then later on they become famous, boom, you use them in all kinds of stuff. They've, they've signed, you potentially, you potentially have had them sign away their rights to their image, blah, blah, blah. And the unions are fighting against that saying like, no, no, you you can't just have, you know, random extra sign away their likeness for a small amount of money and then be able to use it forever with no additional compensation. That's just not fair. But frankly, they should also be concerned about completely made up people. Uh, I was just looking at an article from earlier today. I, I, I actually only looked at the headline. I didn't click through it, but there's some completely AI based influencer. And these influencers are, you know, you have people who are like make stupid little TikTok videos, promote products, things like that. Um, but you don't have to scan someone's face. You can make a face out of whole cloth, you know? Oh, yeah. you, you, and, and, and so you can have completely AI actors. Now, the technology right now is still, it looks like a video game to some degree, to some degree, it's gotten better, but it's still, it's still a little bit uncanny Valley. You look at it and, and you know, something's not quite right about it, but it's getting better and better and better quickly. So you can, you can certainly see like a situation where uh, a few years down the line, you can have entire TV shows or movies with no actors at all. You you have you take the script and you basically do it like an animated movie. You know, you you move the characters around the stage. It's just that the cartoons are now hyper realistic and look like real people and go through the motions and you have the AI do most of the work for you so you don't even necessarily have to have like super highly skilled animators. Uh, you can just say character goes from this spot to this spot and the AI handles making it look like they walk properly and stuff like that. And uh, the voices are AI, the faces are AI, the performance is AI, you know. Now, again, the technology is not quite there right now to do that, but it's getting really close. And you can easily sort of see getting there in a while. How long is a while is arguable. Also arguable is how good does it have to be to be okay and to be profitable? Like, you know, right now, uh, movie studios, you know, sometimes put out animated movies that are trying to be realistic, but are in that uncanny valley and look sort of off and not quite right. But people still go to them. People still enjoy them. People still pay money for them. And so there, there is that. There was, um, uh, what was it? It, it was a, a perpetual Seinfeld that somebody put together using one of these things uh, like six months or a year ago. I don't even know if it's still live, but it basically fed into this thing, the script from the entirety of Seinfeld 
and just said, produce more Seinfeld. And it, it just had sort of cartoonish versions of the characters talking to each other and having a conversation, but it was endless. Like it, you know, it just continuously made more as if, and you could sit there and drop in anytime you wanted, watch for a few minutes, drop back out, go back in, you know, and it was just the characters chatting with each other based on the scripts. And I imagine that, yeah, I, I, I think I checked it out once, but I didn't pay any, you know, I didn't watch it for any length of time. And I think that's probably what people did because it probably, you know, based on where the technology was at that time, it would sound interesting and okay for, a couple minutes, but then it would get old really fast. And then you'd realize, Oh, there it's kind of repetitive, blah, blah, blah there. And, but again, the technology is improving and it, it still kind of sucks today, but I think what both the actors and writers are after is some sort of assurance that they won't get screwed by this and they're they're concentrating on the more immediate needs not the like what will it look like 10 or 15 years down the line because i'm sure they'll have more contract negotiations over that time but even the stuff that's out there right now like what we just talked about about scanning a background extra and using them in the background of more stuff forever potentially without paying them that that could happen today you know, that that's out there because the background characters you're not paying as much attention to as the foreground characters. Hell, they've had artificial background characters for crowd scenes and stuff for decades. Oh, they're the very first movies. Remember, the, in the very earliest ones, they, they had crowd scenes in like the Coliseums where the people were just painted on the background. I mean, they were yeah, obviously yeah. full. But that's, uh, you know, the beginning of movies had the beginning of uh, fake crowds. <laughs> yeah so and and i don't know like uh, where where will where we'll see this go um you know the 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 writers have been at this uh over a month the actors i think only a week or two at this point um and you know people from the studios have been quoted as saying things like we can afford to let this go on a long time these people will be out on the street starving and losing their homes before we're ready to give up, you know, which, okay. That probably will be, yeah. That's lovely. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know. Except, you know, the the stuff they're putting out there to take its place is, uh, is not all that good. If I don't know if you watch any of the game shows, but uh, we, we usually watch Jeopardy. Okay. And the quality of the questions being written by whoever's writing those questions now is is not up to what it was uh, a few months ago. Uh, yeah. Some of the questions are virtually impossible. Others are so easy that it's it's silly. I, I, uh, and it's you know, no I'm 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 surprised a production like that didn't just pause. Like they're pausing all kinds of movies and stuff like yeah. that. It's weird that Jeopardy didn't. Um, and I know at least they, they've said in some cases they'll reuse some old stuff, blah, blah, blah. There's one contestant that was invited to go back to the tournament of champions or whatever, but has said they won't come. Uh, they won't break the strike lines to come. Um, yeah. We, we, I don't know. Um, the, the other thing there is I, I know I'm not typical, but, there's a hundred years of content out there. 
Like, <laughs> you know, it's not like you're going to, if you want something to watch, this tons of old stuff. You don't like, you don't need new stuff all the time. And I know like there's a excitement about the new stuff and it's like hip and whatever, but you know, we've got a hundred years, more than a hundred years of movie, all more than a hundred years of movies, you know, like getting up there on television. Uh, it wasn't that far behind the movies. Um, there's tons to watch, you know? And okay, I know a lot of people aren't going to be like, oh, let's let's pick up some movies and TV from the 50s and watch it. But, you know, yeah, there's lots, there's so much that's been created. You know, you, know, you could go, there's all kinds of good stuff. If you don't want to go back to like the last century, there's plenty from the last 20 years. You know, and yep. no human being has watched all of it. There's just not enough time in the world. So there's all kinds of other stuff to watch that doesn't require Hollywood to be pumping out new stuff all the time. And, and this only, you know, and this also only covers the, essentially the big studios. There are a lot of independent places who are, uh, who are out there and still producing stuff. Although that that's, that's always a little bit more esoteric. There's also foreign stuff that's still being produced because it's not covered by this. Um, that foreign stuff pretty good actually. Yeah. Some of, some of it is, some of it kind of sucks, but you know, that's the same with everything. Right. Um, but I don't know, like the, I think the studios are right. They can kind of, for they probably have deeper pockets to wait this out than the actors do but on the other hand i think public sympathy is with the actors and writers more than it is with the studios um and at some point you may see that affecting things and people do want new stuff i mean i i look at it and say there's huge amounts of content that i haven't seen i don't need the new stuff all that much but lots of people really do want the new stuff. And so maybe it will start hitting the bottom line of, because obviously the, the big production companies make more off new stuff than they do off old stuff. Yeah. So, well, they also have these uh, people called uh, shareholders who want a return on their investments. Right. There's no return on investment when it's running just old stuff and nothing new. Yeah, I mean, well, there's some income stream, but it's clearly a lot smaller. The the, smaller. the big money making things are the new things. Like the back catalog is there and producing sort of a steady stream, but it's not it's not where the growth comes from. It's not where the the bulk of what they do comes from. I, I imagine for most, uh, if not all, of these big companies. Yeah. So I don't know. Are you, are you, are you sympathetic with these folks? Um, and, and by the way, they have not said, don't go see stuff. They haven't said, don't go watch new, new TV shows or anything. Cause they're like, once this is over, they want their money from you watching their content, both the writers yep. and the actors. So like, uh, they're not acting, they're not asking anybody to stop watching the material from these companies what they're asking people to do is stop promoting it actively 
Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? Where's your, where do your sympathies lie Ed? I probably mostly with the actors, uh, you know, and, and, and the, uh, the writers, probably, especially the writers, because the, uh, um, it, as these things go into syndication, the writers don't get much, but it's what they depend on for their income down the line. Uh, that, that's true. Both of the both of the writers and the actors. I've seen I've seen a number of them, mostly on TikTok as I'm scrolling through, and I, I was getting a lot of strike content for a while. And a number of actors and writers have put out things where they they show what they're making. Like they, they go and like, they pull out the envelopes for the residuals they're making from things that they did 10 years ago or whatever. And it's not much. They'll, (laughs) they'll show you like, yeah, here's my check from that really big popular show that I was in 15 years ago. My check for the month, $15, (laughs) you know, or whatever. Uh, usually pretty small. And yep. th- these are, you know, m- people who were head writers on the show or people who were one of the main characters in the show. And they're like, yeah, I, I, this is, this is peanuts at this point, you know? Yeah. So, yep. I mean, it, it, it's, it's still, they get something right. Like one of the, one of the things that is interesting about the creative arts is that, the expectation is that people get continuing income from it. Like for, you know, for my job, like I get paid cause I go in every week and I do stuff and presumably they like the stuff I do. But if I produce something that my company is still using five years from now, and I've in the meantime quit and left and gone somewhere else, I don't get anything. Most jobs you're paid for, what are you producing right now for us? Sometimes right. hourly, sometimes salary, but it's current stuff. But the expectation in the industry, all the creative industries, basically, um, writers, um, some kinds of artists, but not like, like if you're a painter, yeah, you just sell that painting once, right? But if you're in movies, if you're in TV, if you're a recording artist and you do songs and music and stuff like that, the expectation is that, yes, you get something paid up front, but then you get something based on the continued sales or popularity of what you did potentially for the rest of your life. Um, yep. And, you know, and, and the thing is, all of the ways that that's paid out is built on that assumption. Like if that wasn't true, then like a publishing company putting out a book would potentially need to pay more upfront if it was a, if it was a right for hire kind of thing. But like, it's just not set up. Like most publications aren't right for hire, at least not books and things like if you're writing for a magazine you may be on a salary to produce an article every week or whatever uh but if you write a book if you participate in a movie if you're participating in whatever it's sort of assumed that you are like in the book case it's like you are selling your art to the publisher and you get a portion of all the results of that and the whole industry is kind of screwed up in terms of the way that they uh, 
it's not necessarily what you think it would be in terms of how much people get and the whole way advances work is kind of screwed up in the books and and all that's a little bit different than the movies and tv we're talking about here but in any case it's it is a it, it is a different kind of thing and i think for the most part i'm okay with that like it would be a very different entertainment industry if everyone was just paid you know here's your hourly rate for coming in and being an actor and once you step off the set you're done forever but it's not how it's been set up and uh um, I'm all for like that. I hope the actors get a better deal out of this. Cause like you look at it and you just, you just sort of assume like if, if, if people are in something that's big, that they'll, they'll get some decent money off it. And it turns out like, yes, the, 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 the A tier people at the very top are making some big money, but that's a, tiny group of people and most working actors and writers are, you know, making, making much, much less, you know, oh, yeah. like I was going to say sort of, sort of regular middle-class people, but even that's like sort of top tier. Most of them aren't even there. Most of them are like, yeah, they, they do this cause they want to do this and they're trying to break into it, but they have other jobs. They have day jobs because the acting and writing can't pay the bills. Yeah. All the people, the very minor walk on, they get maybe a hundred bucks a day for an eight hour day or longer. Yeah. yeah and it's minimum wage for the, and, and maybe one day every three or four weeks, you get called in and do a job and then off you go again. Yep. Uh, so yeah, the, 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 the number of faces uh, that earn big dollars is, is very few. Yeah, the vast majority aren't me aren't even making a living wage off off this. It has to be supplemented by other things. So, okay, uh, you ready to move on, Ed? Let's move on. Sure, sure. Okay, so we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk RFK Jr. Back after this. You're listening to this podcast. Do you like it? No! Do you want to support the show? No! Well, after you have subscribed to the show, followed us on Facebook, and told all your friends they should be listening to, what else can you do? I won't subscribe! You can help fund our Patreon at patreon.com slash Corner. Patreon is a way you can throw us a few bucks a month to help out with the expenses of the show. You know, web hosting, equipment, a little bit of advertising to promote the show, and maybe every once in a while some much-needed sedatives for Yvonne. At different contribution levels, you can get a mention on the show, a Curmudgeon's Corner postcard, or even a Curmudgeon's Corner mug. Fun stuff! Not fun! In any case, the contributions help tell us that you enjoy and appreciate the show. I really, really hate Curmudgeon's Corner. Are we worth a buck a month? No! Five bucks a month? No! Or if you are nuts about us, maybe even more. One hundred billion! Billion dollars! Even though you don't have anywhere near a billion dollars. If we're worth anything to you at all, send it our way at patreon.com slash curmudgeonscorner. Alex hates 
really, really hate Curmudgeon's Corner! That's really mean, isn't it? But I hate Curmudgeon's Corner, but I really do! <laughs> okay, we are back. Are you back too, Ad? I, I am, but I don't have a mute button to touch. So you have to have some fun. Yep, we don't do that anymore. You're all good. All right. <laughs> I was counting on that so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I just deal with that like later I, when I edit it, if I need to. Um, okay, so RFK Jr. And I sort of I sort of walked all over the first topic. Uh, and so like you brought up RFK Jr. Why don't you start us out? Well, this this guy's kind of unusual, isn't he? He's uh, uh joined into the campaign just fairly recently and decided that he's a viable candidate, even though I think he's polling in the, in the single digits against uh, only. No, he's averaging about, he's averaging about 15% in the national democratic primary. 15, okay. He's uh, and, and I wonder how many roles are really Democrats. I out of curiosity, just by comparison though. I mean, Biden's at 65%. So 65 minus 15, he's behind by 50%. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's like a huge, huge margin. Um, he's he's nowhere near actually competitive anywhere. Yeah, the, the thing that's bothersome are the, the things that he raises as issues. Uh, the, the first one, of course, being the issue of uh, uh, vaccine because he's a longstanding anti-vaxxer. I understand he he brags. Now he'll deny that he denies that, but then you can play. Well, kind of he, he brags about uh, uh, seeing women carrying their babies, uh, you know, out in the street, and walking up to him and saying, "Be sure you don't get that baby vaccinated. That's dangerous stuff." <laughs> yeah, this is this is the one quote that's been brought up repeatedly. He yeah. apparently said that once on some. Um, on some podcast or something a few years back. Yeah. Um, but there, there, if, if you go looking, there are plenty of statements from him um, that are discouraging of vaccine use. And we're not just talking COVID we're talking plenty of things before COVID. There was an issue uh, somewhere in the South Pacific. I forget which South Pacific country it was, but where he went and gave a whole bunch of anti-vaccine information Um uh, which, which I, I'm forgetting which disease it was, but of course he succeeded in dropping the vaccination rate from something fairly high to something fairly low. And there was a big outbreak. Duh. You know, as there would be, as you would expect. I mean, I just, you know, the, the diseases that we vaccinate for these days are diseases that, when I was a child, and even up until I entered med school, uh, we're killing people. Uh, a, a close friend of ours, when I was in private practice, uh, a child came in and we diagnosed her as having acute leukemia, uh, got her into chemotherapy, and after about two years, uh, she had a couple remissions. Uh, uh, remissions. She got almost looked like she was almost clear, and then she got sick again. Uh, finally, she looked like she was in complete remission had one last dose of chemotherapy just as chickenpox hit our, our little town in southern New Mexico. This was before the chickenpox vaccine. That little girl died of uh, chickenpox. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's a disease that 
doesn't need to exist anymore. And these people are out there raising hell. Polio, uh, there are pictures showing the polio wards uh, where they would have 40 or 50 iron lungs in this great big huge warehouse of a room and nurses going from iron lung to iron lung to keep kids alive. Uh, and and at these there's people, it's not just him, it's a whole bunch of people out there raising cane and saying you need to, to watch out, this is dangerous stuff. Uh, back in the, uh, I'm trying to think when it would have been, it would have been somewhere around 1991 or 92, uh, there was a, uh, a fairly well-known black author who decided that polio vaccine uh, had been developed in order to give black children uh, HIV. And he was going around through Africa and other sorts of places. And this is a guy who's a brilliant man, wrote beautifully poems and stuff, yeah, but talking people that, uh, you know, this is dangerous stuff. So kids, a lot of people stopped getting their kids polio, uh, as a result of which, instead of having no cases of polio, uh, there were a number of cases of polio again in, in those areas where he was listened to and, and uh, revived, you know, uh, liked. Uh, so that's that's the one issue with uh, with Kennedy. Uh, the other thing is uh, today I see that he has announced that he he asked for Secret Service uh, protection. It's a little early. It's a little early for that. Yeah, well, it, it may not be too early. His father was killed in the campaign not too much later than right about now. Uh, no, it was it, it was it was uh, in the it was halfway through the primary season. So it's uh, the uh, okay. So it was later than this. But in any event, the the issue is is he he went public today and said the Secret Service denied it, which shows that kind of like Trump, he doesn't understand how these things work. It's not the Secret Service who decides who they protect. The DHS assigns that there's a committee that I, I've discovered today is made up of the uh, majority leader of the Senate, uh, the Speaker of the House, um, I think the second highest person in the House, and then one or two other people that that committee names. Well, you know what? Uh, if those people, several of those are people that are either Democrats or Republicans, uh, fairly prominent, have nothing to do with Secret Service, but they tell the Secret Service what to do. It's they don't get to decide who gets protection, who doesn't. Well, and there, there are certain conventions around political candidates in terms of when they get protection, yep. and there are a number of factors that go into that. One is, of course, you know how they are doing in the political race, um, yep. and uh, and and usually, usually, like candidates who aren't already in office don't get Secret Service protection until very late in the process like they either they are already the presumptive nominee um and like you know th this can be like before the conventions and stuff but like yeah. once they're the presumptive nominee and most of the competition is gone or if there are active threats against someone and they are co still competitive uh then they might be considered for it yeah. You know, like if 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 RFK Jr is still polling at 15% and he's actually getting delegates and he's actually like yeah, even if it's clear he's not going to win the Democratic nomination, <laughs> uh if he is he he might get protection in the first like at some point 
if he was still consistently polling relatively high, he was actually getting delegates in the race, and there were active threats. You know, and, and may, maybe he's got active threats, right? Because of his name, because people hate him, you know, whatever. Maybe he's got active threats, but it's still really early, like in the process. We haven't even actually started the real race yet, you know? Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm just looking through, like, uh, I, I'm on the Wikipedia page for his presidential campaign. So I looked first at the, uh, at his personal page and that has some stuff, but, uh, uh, flipping through. And then there's another one that's, you know, specifically, uh, anyway, anyway, there are multiple places you can find out stuff. Um, and I'm not looking at his, is his actual website because, you know, <laughs> he'll spin it in a certain way. Um, but here, here are a few highlights. So economy, uh, when launching his campaign, Kennedy said that his priority would be, quote, to end the corrupt merger of state and corporate power that is threatening now to impose a new kind of corporate feudalism in our country. What does that mean? Um, um, yeah, well, uh, going further in that section, it says he's strongly critical of the contemporary political economy. He described it as cushy socialism for the rich and this kind of brutal, merciless capitalism for the poor that bails out banks and keeps the nation in a state of permanent war while slashing programs like food stamps and Medicaid. Now, described that way, I'm not necessarily, you know, disagreeing too much because I, I think that the government gives all kinds of benefits to big companies that probably shouldn't be given. And I don't think the safety net is expansive enough, but the way he even frames it is already like, okay, you're just sort of out there in crazy land. Like even if like on more specific things, maybe I would agree. Moving on (laughs) foreign policy. He wants to end the proxy wars, bombing campaigns, covert operations, coups, paramilitaries, and everything else that has become so normal, most people don't know what's happening. He says that the Democratic Party became the party of war, and he attributes that directly to President Biden. Um, He says he believes U.S. foreign relations should involve significantly reducing the military presence in other nations. Specifically said, the country must start unraveling the empire through closing U.S. bases in different locations worldwide. Um, I, I, I generally feel that there are a lot of places where the U.S. is overreached. But again, it's like once you get absolutist about it, then it's then I start distrusting you like yeah, it, 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 you start sounding isolationist and you start sounding like if it's outside of our borders, it's none of our business. And I, I, I'm not quite there. I don't know. Thoughts, Ed? <laughs> well, I, I clearly we are involved in lots and lots of places in the world and many that we don't even know about. Uh, but I, 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 you know, we are... It, it, it really the only superpower as such in the world right now. China is approaching that, uh, and Russia is quite frankly a, a very clo- clo- closer to being a third world nation than a first world nation. In all honesty, uh, their their military can't beat the military of a relatively small uh, nation that 
doesn't have a hell of a lot of budget, and and yet they're being held at bay and maybe losing to that the mm-hmm. Ukraine. Uh, that what they have is they have the threat of nuclear, so people are afraid to go to war with them for fear they'll use those nuclears. But that's uh, it, in a straightforward conventional war, uh, they wouldn't last ten minutes against NATO. It would be over within a week, about like the first Gulf War went. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's just a. I, I, we shouldn't be in a lot of the places. We clearly are. I, I, I have thought for a long time that our uh, Department of Defense budget is incredibly overpriced. I, almost a trillion dollars now. It's it's overnight. You, is you it see those charts occasionally that like the defense budget of the United States is more than like the next ten countries added up combined. Combined, yes. Yeah. Um, we, we, we're worried about China getting, I think it's something like their third or fourth aircraft carrier. And we have two to four aircraft carriers in every goddamn ocean, <laughs> you know, and we're worried about them getting one or two. Uh, you know, it's, do we really need eight or nine multi-billion dollar aircraft carriers? You know, we're clearly building them. And we're going to keep building them. Uh, so I think I, I agree that we could clearly relook at what we're doing in defense. Uh, it would be nice if we, instead of spending all that huge amount on weaponry, uh, went down into Central and Southern America and then started investing in those nations, putting themselves together uh, in a manner such that the crooks can't steal it all, as has happened in the past, and uh, build some solid uh you know, wealthy countries, if you will. Uh, And I don't think it would be that hard. I really don't. So continuing on, I just want to go through a bunch of his like positions on things and we can talk about them or, you know, whatever. Uh, China. Um, Kennedy claimed without citing evidence that the United States and China are engaged in an arm race to develop what he described as ethnic bioweapons designed to attack and harm people of a specific race. He also claimed without evidence that despite the U.S. being a signatory to the Biological Weapons Convention, the CIA has continued to undertake banned bioweapon research in secret. I'm not sure what he bases that on. I I, uh, I wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, th- this is one of those things where if true, that's alarming. But he can't, like, say he can't provide any evidence. He can't do that. There's, yeah. you know, and yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are lots of things that our government is doing that we don't know about that maybe should ex- be exposed and shouldn't be happening. But unless you can provide something that backs up claims like that, if you just say it out of the blue and then start saying you want to act on it, you just sound crazy. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things he, he has set up, I, I believe, is to state that he thinks that the COVID, uh, well, the SARS-CoV-2 yep. uh, was developed uh, specifically aimed at uh, protecting Jews and uh, Ashkenazi Jews, not just any Jews, and Chinese, and that it was uh, supposed to harm blacks and uh, uh, Europeans more. I, I think that's how it works. Yeah, and this, this is one of those things, too, where when he was at that hearing in Congress a few weeks back, yeah. uh, he denied that, and then they played the tape of him saying it. Yeah. It's like, 
You can't, you can't <laughs> deny something you said. Uh, and, and, you know, that even ignoring the fact that that, that seems highly unlikely, uh, that doesn't explain why it is that more Chinese died of, of COVID than, than most other nations. Well, yeah, we, we don't know because according to the officially released numbers, the percentage of people who died in China is still extremely tiny, but every, all the, you know, third party estimates have it much higher than what China says. So we don't really know what's going on in China, but nevertheless, like this is something where it, it's a crazy claim. And it's the kind of thing where if you've got like an extraordinary claim, you need extraordinary evidence. And he's got no evidence. Not it's not even that he's got weak evidence. He has no evidence of anything like this. And so it's like the old business on the uh, uh, conspiracies. Always you start out with a conspiracy being something pretty broad, and then as you disprove that part of the conspiracy, then it becomes broader. Uh, and it keeps broadening, whereas uh, when a conspiracy is a, a true thing that really is occurring, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower until it's down to just a very few people who indeed were conspiring to do something bad. Uh, and his his theories are expanding rapidly. They're, they're like they're going viral. Next up, Ukraine and Russia. Kennedy argues that there were agreements between the U.S. and Russia or Soviet leaders who emphasized that NATO would not expand eastward and the illegal invasion occurred because Russian security concerns were ignored by the United States. He's described Russia's conduct with regards to the Minsk agreement as acting in good faith. Uh, his son, Connor, is fighting in the conflict on the, U on the Ukrainian side. Hmm. Uh, Kennedy has blamed the war on U.S. engineering of the 2014 Revolution of Dignity, uh, he's overestimated how much the U.S. has uh, spent on it. Uh, he's blamed Zelensky for provoking Russia, claimed Ukraine had allowed the U.S. to place nuclear-capable missile, missile launchers along Ukraine's border with Russia and pushed the Ukraine bioweapons conspiracy theory. Um, he believes the administration of President Joe Biden in large part caused the invasion due to reckless and militant action. He specifically cited the issue of NATO expansion into Eastern Europe. At the same time, he clarified that he refuses to connect this criticism with anything considered support of the government of Russia under Putin, uh, particularly given his ethical opposition to the regime's belief and politics. <laughs> he has remarked that Putin is a monster and labeled him a thug and a gangster. Okay. So basically, Putin is a bad guy, but him invasion, him invading, but him invading Ukraine is still all the U.S.'s fault, and specifically Joe Biden's fault. And he never would have done it. He never would have done it. Uh, whereas th this is one of those things, and I've heard other people arguing the same case from both left and right. Um, but fundamentally, like Ukraine had been asking to join NATO for like a decade and kept being told no. So like the idea that they were worried about Ukraine joining NATO and that particular NATO expansion and that would being part of it uh, is, is a little nuts because actually the administration had been made it very clear to NATO and not to NATO to, to Ukraine that they weren't going to get to be in NATO so long as Russia was being paranoid about it. Basically 
Um, now, is it true that the Ukrainians started making a move to want to be associated with the West more than to Russia? Yeah. But you got to give the Ukrainians some agency in their own actions. Now, of course, the U.S. Would, was encouraging that in various ways, and Russia was encouraging the opposite. But fundamentally, the Ukrainians themselves have to have agency over their own choices, and they were moving towards leaning towards the West over time. Well, they and wanted to join the, the European uh, economic community. They, that and too. they wanted to yep, join yep. All kinds of stuff. Okay, healthcare coverage. In contrast to medic, you know, and I don't know that we have to give all this the time, but okay, a couple, a couple more. Healthcare. In contrast to a Medicare for all system as proposed by Bernie Sanders, uh, Kennedy has stated, my highest ambition would be to have a single payer program where people who want to have private programs can go ahead and to do that, but to have a single program that is available to everybody. Uh, he then said that such a system would be politically unrealistic. Uh, he opposes the nationalizing the pharmaceutical industry or providing a public options for pharmaceuticals and, and instead emphasizes the need to prevent regulatory capture. Uh, he wants to make existing services available to all, including alternative and holistic therapies that have been marginalized in a pharma-dominated system. Uh, so, you know, I kind of like single payer as an option too with uh, with a private option for folks who want it. Um uh, so I don't necessarily disagree with that long-term goal. Uh, some of the other stuff, like alternative and holistic therapies, I am very wary of. There are occasionally ones that work, but a lot of them are just snake oil being peddled by, you know, people trying to make a buck. And I think you have to be really careful, like, to be evidence-based in that kind of stuff. And no, like, there shouldn't be like government subsidized support of things that are bullshit, you know, but hey, you know, quacks have to feed their family too. Uh, yeah. True. True. I guess. But yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I, I don't know if there's a future in our healthcare in this nation. Uh, we still have 10 States that have not uh, taken advantage of the federal funding for Medicaid uh, through the, uh, Affordable Care Act, yep, uh, and those ten states have significantly different health outcomes than the states right next door to them, for the most part. Yeah, I wonder uh, why. I well, <laughs> partially because well, in Kansas, there's one guy who said we we should not be providing health care to those people. It's unethical and immoral to take care of people who can't afford to see a doctor. Basically, I'm I'm paraphrasing him, yeah. And but that's basically what he's saying. Um, that's scary as shit. Yep. Okay, gun rights and school shootings. He's stated, "I'm not going to take people's guns away," and he believes in gun control himself. He's explained his position by saying, "I'm a constitutional abolition absolutist." We can argue about whether the Second Amendment was intended to protect guns. The argument has now been settled by the Supreme Court. Uh, he strongly suggested. Oh God, uh, Kennedy has strongly suggested that antidepressants and other psychiatric drugs are to blame for school shootings. According to him, there's this tremendous circumstantial evidence that SSRIs and benzos and other drugs are what is doing this. 
At the same time, he admitted there is no data to support this claim. Uh, But prior to the introduction of Prozac, we had almost none of these events. Uh, Experts say there's no evidence for a connection between psychiatric drugs and school shootings and point out that only a minority of school shooters were prescribed drugs. (laughs) That's all right. That's still that's that's still a reason. See, this is this is the kind of thing like and and I saw a summary elsewhere that just said he has lots of conspiratorial things. Yeah. And even if there's a position here or there that I'm like, oh, that's reasonable. All it takes is one of these things where he's completely off his fucking rocker and everybody should be get, getting as far away from him as possible. It is disturbing that he has 15 percent support among Democrats. Even the ones that he sort of makes sense, if you delve into them, it very quickly becomes gibberty, you know, baloney. I, I, what can I say? I, I, I'm going to start swearing if I'm not careful, but, uh, you know, the guy is crazy. Yeah. A lot of people have pointed out that, you know, he in his personal history, he's had lots of trauma. I mean, you can start with his father being killed, right? But apparently throughout his entire life, he's had all kinds of trauma. He's all he's kind, had all kinds of other issues. He's got more in common with Hunter Biden than he does with Joe Biden uh, in terms of basically just having a completely fucked up personal life with all kinds of issues uh, and problems and stuff that he says he's over with now, but a lot of his behavior just matches somebody who's just been so traumatized by so much that they've kind of lost connection with the real world, even if they had some of it at some point. Um, And, and so you've got, you know, I, I haven't even got the, the remaining things on this particular list are LGBT issues. Um, and he's got sort of a mixed record there. Uh, we, we talked about, well, we, we sort of, we talked about the anti-vax stuff, but there's more on that. And then he's made various anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic and racist remarks over time. And, and it's just really, really. And, you know, he's got like the 15% support among Democrats right now. Um, and at the flip side though, um, he's also very popular among Republicans as well. Oh, he's not running in the Republican primary, but lots of Republicans give him as their favorite Democrat. I, a number of his issues are basically Republican centered issues. Some of it certainly is. And some of it's just the, this, there's this whole group that, uh, that has bought into all this conspiracy bullshit. And, you know, a lot of that's on the Republican side right now, but the, the left has never been immune from this. There's a portion of the left that is attracted to this stuff too. The, the whole anti-vax movement prior to COVID was concentrated on the left. There were a whole bunch of whack nut leftists who like were all like health nuts and like the vaccine. Well, health nuts in the not really paying attention to what is actually healthy, but like the, the whole, like everything we only want natural stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, natural, the natural state of humans 
is to die a lot from preventable diseases. You know, it's like, you know, pe- people, uh, every once in a while you see people saying, you know, we didn't have all of this like fancy modern medicine stuff. Uh, but, you know, people lived without it for hundreds of years. What did they do then? The answer to that question is they died a lot. <laughs> from all kinds of things that now we know how to prevent. And it's like, no, you don't. Uh, anyway, uh, back, back, back to RFK Jr. It's like uh, when, when I, I mentioned on the curmudgeons course Slack, but I don't think I mentioned on the, uh, on the podcast here uh, for, on the July 4th uh, weekend or whatever, I think it was actually on July 4th. Um, Myself and my wife and you know, we, we were with the county Democrats in like um, in, in a Fourth of July parade. My wife, because she's an office holder, me because like I go to these things to support her. And when we were staging for the parade, right behind us was a group for RFK Jr., they had a big ass banner. They had like 15 people. They had all kinds of stuff. Like th- there were more of them than they were of us for the regular County Democrats. Amazing. And they clearly had some money backing them because they had this big ass sign and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, where do you people come from? Why are there crazies? But they're always crazies. And you know, I, I'm, I am happy like at, at 15%, he will be lucky if he gets delegates in Iowa, New Hampshire, if nothing changes. Like all bets are off if like Biden has a heart attack or dies or anything like that. But I think the Iowa Democrats are smarter than to vote, vote for him. I, I, the, the, if he were running as a Republican Iowa, I think he would probably walk away with the nomination. No, not against Trump. Trump would still win, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, no, but I, you know, the, most most of the states in the Democratic primary process have thresholds that you have to break in order to get any delegates delegates at all. Um, and he might get a few delegates if he holds out at fifteen percent, but he's got nowhere near what he needs to like touch Biden in any meaningful way. No. Uh, so, and I, and my, I, my guess is that most, most of the time when we have dynamics like this, uh, support fades as we get further along in the process and people talk are, are, are thinking about real life instead of just, Oh, like a lot of that 15% is not people who actually support RFK jr. It's people who are just saying, can we have somebody besides Biden? Yeah, uh, that's probably true. And when it gets to the point where you're coming close to an election and you start to find out about the actual person and people look into it, that support drops off because it becomes a real thing as opposed to just a protest vote against Biden, you know? Yeah. Okay. Before we, before we drop this and go on to the other, you, you made a comment about what did people do in the past? Uh, they died. Uh, a number of years ago, I was in a, in a chat room where I made a, an offhand comment about uh, the, the hunter-gatherer people uh, frequently starving to death and, and being small and, and underfed and on and on. And a lady challenged me to read a book 
which uh, showed me that I was absolutely wrong. It's the, the name of the book is Sex at Dawn, and it's about the dawn of civilization. And it makes an awfully strong point that the hunter-gatherer people lived a pretty kosher, kush, cushy life. Uh, it took, it, when you had no more humans than we had running around then, it took an average of probably an hour to two hours and a half for a person to feed their family with stuff that they could go out and gather and hunt. Uh, and they, they actually, the, the average height of the, the cave dwellers who lived to be an adult uh, was very close to what it is now. As we began farming and uh, uh, moving into cities and creating an environment in which people were underfed and undernourished, we got smaller uh, and smaller and smaller. And it's only been since the Industrial Revolution that we began coming back to what appears to be the normal size of uh, Homo sapiens, which is about what we are now, a, a height between average height of around 5'7 for women and what, 5'10 for men or whatever, uh, that the old hunter-gatherers had it pretty good. They they just they had not much to do other than what the bonobos do, which is to sit around and eat and have sex. Yeah. I, I mean, th- there there's definitely sort of that dynamic that in, but the the particular thing that we were discussing there is sort of, as long as everything goes well, sure. But as soon as something goes wrong, yeah. you know, you break a limb, you uh, you catch a disease, you get an infection, whatever. Yeah, all, all those sorts of things shorten lives, uh, and that's of course uh, most of, most of the deaths were in children. Yes, who didn't survive them. By the way, it, I uh, I think it was uh, oh what the hell's her name uh. uh one of the early anthropologists who who did a lot of study of ancient civilization, they said, "What was the first sign of civilization?" And uh, you know, was it fire? Was it the wheel? Whatever. And her point was, it was a healed broken arm, a healed broken femur, actually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that that could only occur in a civilization that said, "We'll take care of you until you're walking again." Um, so yeah, that's. Uh, uh, it was an interesting time that we we underestimate just how well those folks did. Yeah, and, and yeah, we're getting a little off topic here, but like, there's most of the time humans existed is before what we call history, before we had written records. Yeah, and but biologically, they were still modern humans. They were just as smart as we are today. Yep, you know, and they were able to do lots of things and we don't give all the credit for it. I mean, it took a while for technology to develop for reading and writing and agriculture and all these things, but like the humans of a hundred thousand years ago, were still humans basically. Yep. You know? So anyway, and we know very little about them. So. Some of some of the ones who claim to be human now, I, I have some questions about. <laughs> okay, well, well, with that, let's take a break, and uh, we we've got to we've got to speed up a little bit for the next two topics, Ed. Okay. Well, we can always skip one. 
Yeah, no, no, no. We promised people now. We gotta, we gotta do it. Oh. We just gotta do it fast. Okay. Um, okay. We got the additional Trump indictments, and then we've got the UCMJ. Uh, we will be back with Trump stuff after this. Do you want to understand what is really going on with the presidential election cycle? Then go to electiongraphs.com right away. There you'll find charts and graphs covering the nomination processes in both parties and the general election race for electoral college votes. For the delegate races, we track not just delegate totals, but also the ever-important analysis of how each candidate has to do with the remaining delegates in order to actually win. For the Electoral College, we track state-by-state poll averages to categorize which states are actually in play and which are not in order to show you the range of likely electoral results and how that changes over time. Sure, you can get some of this stuff elsewhere, but not in exactly the same way, and not from me, Sam, your prime curmudgeon. I think my election trackers are better than the rest, so come look at mine, electiongraphs.com. Okay, we are back. It is time for Trump stuff. Before we go to Trump, yeah, go ahead. Before we go to Trump, I just saw something that I didn't see earlier today. Uh, apparently, the uh, democratically elected president of Niger has been overthrown by the presidential guard. Yep, and they are now a, a, a military dictatorship. Yes, I saw that too. I haven't uh, dug into the details, but yes, a coup in Niger. Uh, Okay, on to Trump. <laughs> on to Trump, yes. Um, so all week long, we've been on indictment watch because Trump got his notice that he was uh, likely going to get uh, indictments based on the the January 6th stuff and all of the... I, I shouldn't say just January 6th. It's all the stuff surrounding that as well, um, like the fake elector scheme and all that kind of stuff. Um and sort of every day it was like, are we getting it today? Are we getting it today? Are we getting it today? And no, um, that did not happen. Uh, the grand jury did not meet on Tuesday. They usually do Tuesday and Thursday. They did not meet at all on Tuesday. On Thursday, they were there all day, um, but did not release anything new. There was speculation on what's happening. Are they, are they hearing from another witness? Are they getting a final uh, presentation before they get to vote on it, what's going on, but nobody really knows the people who, the people who do know aren't talking. So it's really all just speculation. Um, there are some people who continue to say like any day now, like it's likely going to be a Tuesday or Thursday, but next, if it wasn't this week, it's going to be next week. There are a few other people who are saying, well, hold on one second. Even though last time this happened with the case in Florida, after they got that notice and that letter and stuff, it was very quick. It was measured in days, not weeks. I, th- I think it might have been a week and a half. Two weeks. I-, I forget exactly how long, but it was short. It wasn't that long in between those. Um, but people are saying, hold on, hold on. The grand jury has witnesses scheduled to appear all through August. Like there are various people who they've already. In- it's already become public that they've agreed to testify and they're scheduled to come in in the next few weeks. And if they're still interviewing people like that, won't they wait for all of those people before 
they do anything. Uh, so if that's the case, we may be waiting another month before we get anything. Uh, mm. there, uh, the And so I don't know. It, it could be anything from, and some people were saying even, you know, they might have actually already filed the indictment under seal. They're just not ready to release it publicly. Uh, so we could be anywhere from Trump's already been indicted for that stuff to it's going to be another month. Uh, with And the reality is because we just have no idea. Nobody outside the grand jury and the prosecutors have any idea what the schedule is actually going to look like. So we're going to be on indictment watch until it happens because we do pretty much know there will be an indictment at this point. Um, but timing is all over the place. I suppose there's a chance the grand jury could vote no on an indictment, but that's very, very rare. Um, Anyway, so we got that all going on with that. And so on Thursday, everybody was, you know, reading, trying to read the tea leaves of what was coming out of the grand jury to figure out if they were voting or not. And are we going to get this? And are we going to get this? Then all of a sudden, we actually get more indictments on the documents case out of Florida. <laughs> not not the stuff everybody was expecting and teed off on. It was just all of a sudden. No one really expected it to be happening, and it was just out of the blue. Okay, here's an additional defendant that's being indicted as well, uh, besides the two, you know, Trump and Nauda, and I forget the new guy. Oh, De Oliveira is the new guy, has been indicted. Yep. He's a, he's another helper-type person at Mar-a-Lago who runs errands for Trump and stuff. Um, so we added a person. And we added several new charges. One of the new charges was just adding another document. Uh, The original document indictment uh, had, I forget how many, like 30 some uh, documents that were specifically called out that uh, Trump had uh, without permission. They added the one that was the the Iranian war plans that they have uh, have him on tape talking to people about and showing in Bedminster, New Jersey. Uh, so the, at the time there was speculation, why wasn't that included? Um, and apparently they had it all along, but you know, just they, in the meantime, by not adding it for like a month or however long it's been in the meantime, Trump went on TV, talked about how it was a lie. The document didn't exist. He was holding up newspapers. You know, there was, you know, it wasn't what it sounded like, blah, blah, blah. So now there, here's the document. You know, we're, we're going to add this one too. We've, we've had it all along. Um, But then almost more interesting than that is they added a bunch of additional obstruction charges, um, obstruction of justice. Uh, specifically, um, what they've got nailed down now is apparently a lot of discussions that were a lot more explicit about the, about the obstruction with the big new example being explicit conversations about Trump directing the people who work for him to delete the security footage, uh, security camera footage uh, that showed the boxes moving back and forth and all this. It is not explicitly clear 
in the indictment, whether they succeeded in deleting everything, but they've got transcripts of conversations, essentially, uh, some of which are text messages. And I think some of them were in-person conversations with a witness giving them the text. Yep. Um, yep. But basically with, you know, the guy saying, hey, the boss wants us to delete the tapes. Can we do that? And the other guy saying, I don't, I don't have the permissions to do that. I need to go talk to this other guy, et cetera. Um, but very explicitly talking about wanting to get rid of that. They've got details of how, you know, when some of these conversations were happening, they either did a walk and talk kind of scenario, which is typically, you know, People do it for all kinds of reasons, but one reason is you want to avoid being overheard or surveilled or being on these uh, surveillance cameras while you're talking. Uh, there are other places where uh, Nauda was texting back and forth with people about changing his travel plans in order to go back and take care of this. And it's fairly clear from the text that he was making up a cover story about going to deal with a family issue. Cause he said in the text, it's like, I have to go back for a family issue with a little shushing emoji and stuff like that. And <laughs> all of this stuff is like, so, so clumsy and stupid on one side, but also like, so absolutely clear and contradictory to some of the things that Trump was claiming as defenses before in terms of like, if you thought you did nothing wrong, why are you deleting the security tapes again? You know, and I, I suppose you could make an argument that you wanted to delete them, not because you did anything wrong, but because people would misinterpret it. But come on, you got people moving the boxes around and you've got the conversations about doing this stuff uh, right after various subpoenas went through and things like that. It's like, like he was already in deep shit with this one before this last batch of charges. And these just make it so much worse. And they also like directly attack some of the defenses that he's been making, which were pretty weak anyway, but like they're even weaker now. And yeah. And, and one thing that was mentioned in a lot of the coverage is the fact that you're adding this superseding indictment uh, and a new defendant will almost certainly actually result in further delay of the trial. Uh, probably only by a few weeks because it was, the original one was only a few weeks ago, but still that moves us from like May to June of next year, uh, maybe July even of next year. And, you know, it seems like everybody involved is very critically aware of November 2024 and the timing of all this. So if the feds wanted to add this, they felt like they really needed to. If there were minor things to add, they would just decide not to at this point. Yeah. The, you know, I, I'm in a, uh, in a group of discussants who include a couple far right wingers who I'm sure get all their news from the, uh, uh, from Fox. And the only reason I bring that up is uh, let me read something that one of the guys wrote today 
-hmm. talking about these classified documents. And I'll just read it. If you are the president, classified documents are yours. You cannot steal what is yours. This has been adjudicated by the Clinton sock case. As loathing as Trump is, he would be less guilty of misusing classified documents than Poppy Bush, who kept classified documents in an abandoned warehouse, W. Bush, Obama, who kept them in a closed-down Chinese restaurant, Clinton kept them in a sock drawer, Mar-a-Lago was far more secure than had, it's, as it had been White House self. And then I, I, challenged him, I, said, I challenged him. I said, I don't know where you're getting your law from, but those documents do not belong to the president. They belong to the United States. And he says, no, it has literally been the law since the Presidential Records Act. No. President part blanche to decide what records to take and what ones to leave behind. I say this to point out that these people are going to vote for Trump if he has been sentenced to be executed for shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. None of what that person said is even remotely true. They're like little bits and pieces of seeds of something that happened. Like, for instance... But he's being that from a major news source. Um, yeah, no, like, but but look, the the sock case, specifically the thing that was an issue there, was not classified documents, was not even government records. It was a diary that he kept for the purpose of uh, notes for writing memoirs later. Uh, that was that was never classified, did not cover classified stuff, and that actually went to court, and was adjudicated in Clinton's favor, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't the kind of stuff we're talking about here. You mean it wasn't planned to invade Iran? No. And then the Chinese restaurant thing, the Chinese restaurant had gone out of business, was no longer there. The, 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 the records agency was looking for a place to make into a skiff for the storage of records I think I'm not sure it was even classified stuff. It was just the storage of records, but it it, it might have it might have been classified stuff. But the point was the the, weren't stored by him; they were stored by the agency. Yeah, the point was the National Archives, when determining the right way to store whatever records were in case here, whether they were classified or not, rented the space. And then did a massive conversion of the place to add security, bring it up to whatever standards were necessary, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that it used to be a Chinese restaurant was irrelevant by the end of that. And the stuff was under the control of the archives the whole time, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, you can go through and debunk these things point by point. But the problem is the people who say these things don't care and don't believe you. And they do believe the people who are putting that stuff out there. And they're not going to listen to the lawyers who actually know the details of the Presidential Records Act and the various acts covering classified material. And some of this stuff, like some of what he's being charged with, by the way, it it's, doesn't even rely on it being classified. It's just that it's national security related. And it would be illegal even if it wasn't national security record because it's still not his. They're, they're, they're presidential records that belong to we, the citizens of the United States, not to the president. And the times where ex-presidents have used 
things for, say, their presidential libraries or other use. They have done so via the archives, working out an arrangement, having the stuff loaned, putting it on display or in their archive or wherever they're doing it, but it's all still managed through the archive. It's not just, I'm taking this shit and I'm going to stick it in a box in my bathroom. (laughs) And, and, you know, and even everything else aside, uh, even if you assume Trump was right from the very beginning and he was, he was, he had declassified everything in his mind and he had, and he had every right to have it and whatever, whatever, whatever. Assume all that, even though it's not true. Still, once there was an investigation of it, him hiding the stuff and asking for security cam footage to be deleted, that would be illegal anyway. Even if yep. the other, even if he was perfectly in the right on all the other stuff, because once there's an investigation, you are obligated by law to cooperate with the investigation. His his uh, records of obstruction crimes uh, were documented by Mueller. Why uh, that's never been charged, I don't know. But part two of the uh, well, Mueller report it, makes it yeah, very we, clear. And, and that I, I, I argued with Bruce about part one of the Mueller report uh, last week. And saying that it actually did show all kinds of nefarious behavior. It wasn't just a nothing burger. But on part two specifically, yes, there was detailed documentation of all of his, his obstruction. And it was it was a conscious choice by the DOJ after Biden was president uh, to not do that. At this point, the statute of limitations have expired on almost all of that. I believe. <clears throat> so it's too late now. Yeah. But. I think that there was very much. What is the statute of limitations on that sort of stuff? It was it was something like four years. And then it hasn't expired because it doesn't kick in until you can charge, which would would not have been until six uh, twenty January uh, two thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not yep. sure. Then there yep. there were there were definitely. You can't say it might be filed. It might have been shorter than, I don't know, the. I, I would have to look into it. I have heard repeatedly that most of the stuff, if not all of the stuff documented in the Mueller report, has it's now been too long. Uh, I yeah. could be wrong about that, but in any case, it well, seemed like the DOJ... by more important stuff, but yes. But, yeah, uh, it, it seems like the DOJ's approach was very much look forward, not back. We don't want to, like, make it look political. And, and this is... Um, uh, what what's his name? The, the 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 attorney general. I always blank on his name. Oh, the the president attorney is uh uh oh crap. Yeah, see see. He was nominated for Supreme Court, but yes somebody, yes yes. What's his name? What's his name? I'm looking it up. Stupid. Thing. Damn it. I always blank on his name. I don't know why. And my computer's being slow. Uh, I have a mental block on names in any event, but that's. Starts with an F, doesn't it? Garland. Garland. G. That was yeah. that was close to an F. Merrick Garland. Uh, anyway, is it? It seems pretty clear that before Merrick Garland, they had like interim people, and they didn't want to do anything because they're interim. Once they had Merrick Garland, uh, and he started in early March 2021, um, it's pretty clear that his 
take on things was I want to heal the DOJ by not being political. And it would be political to go after the former president of the country. Whereas in fact, by not going after him, you were making a very political decision uh, when there was there were so many things out there. There was stuff from the Mueller report. There was uh, there was a conflict of interest. There were so many things. I've said before, it was a target-rich environment, even before you got to all the 2020 election stuff. But the, on, the, the, on January 6th and the 2020 election, it seems very clear at this point, and there was a big Washington Post article on it like a month or so ago, a month or two ago, um, that they really, really, really didn't want to go there. They were going after all the individual January 6th protesters and saying they'll work their way up the chain or whatever. But they were basically ignoring leads that were right in front of them for looking at the political leaders, including Trump and his staff and people in Congress uh, who were part of these schemes uh, until the January 6th committee laid it all out there and put it in front of them and basically shamed them into starting a real investigation. And then they went into overdrive. Now, I've seen some people argue that if they'd started earlier, they would have actually had a harder time making progress. And so the delay served some sort of purpose. But the overall consensus is they really just didn't even start until the January 6th committee made it impossible for them not to start um, with dealing with the political leadership behind all this stuff. And then, and then even then they were still going slow until the special counsel was appointed. Um, And there was, and, and and for the documents as well as January 6th, they were, they were giving so much deference and the FBI was arguing really strongly against uh, getting a search warrant for Mar-a-Lago, despite all the back and forth, there was clearly he wasn't returning what he was supposed to. They were like, we don't want to do this. We can't do this. We don't want to get involved. And, you know, <laughs> eventually, eventually they did. But like, it was clear everyone was highly reluctant. And w- which is one of those things when you hear some of Trump's rhetoric on this about two forms of justice and they're going after me in ways they would never go after other people. When you actually look at it, it's clearly the opposite. They so, they gave him every fucking chance on all of this stuff. They, they delayed and they delayed and they delayed and they gave him chance after chance after chance to return the documents. And on the January 6th stuff, they, dragged their feet on really getting into the investigation. He's He's been treated with kid gloves this entire time. Like with the document stuff, you know, any normal federal employee caught with that shit would be sitting in a jail waiting for trial right now. They would not be at home at Mar-a-Lago, you know? <sighs> anyway, he's got a bunch of more charges. We're waiting on the others. Anything else to say, Ed? Uh, no, no. <laughs> okay. We will take a break and then we will come back uh, for one last topic on the universal, whatever it is, right? UCMJ. Uniform Code of Military Justice. There you go. Uh, we will be back 
after this and and look the trump stuff there will be plenty more trump stuff in the coming weeks so like we're kind of shorter with trump than we sometimes are but that's okay we are going to be overwhelmed with it for the next year and a half so we're fine i'm afraid you're right yo yeah back after this no no it's not the beginning of the show again We're just taking a little time to credit the artist responsible for the music we use at the beginning and end of the show. What you are listening to right now is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. The music we close our show with is Celestial Soda Pop. Both of these songs are from Deep Breakfast. Now Platinum, Deep Breakfast was the first independently released album ever to be certified gold by the RIAA. Ray Lynch's other albums are The Sky of Mind. No Blue Thing Nothing Above My Shoulders But The Evening best of Ray Lynch. You can check out Ray Lynch or buy his music at raylynch.com, iTunes, Amazon, or anywhere you usually find music. Okay, we are back. So, Ed, um, I saw some headlines on this, but I didn't read any of the articles. And you're ex-military, so you know a lot more than I do. So tell me what's going on here. Well, I, the, I ex-military, yes, but I was fortunately didn't have a whole lot of experience with the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military. Basically, it's a set of laws that apply to crimes committed by military folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as a commander in the past, generally the commander has a great deal of authority over lawbreaking. Uh, and this, this goes all the way from misdemeanors. Uh, you know, if, if uh, well, the best example I can think of is uh, uh, one of my soldiers once uh, uh, came up positive on a marijuana uh, uh, urine test, which at that time was illegal in the military. It, it may still be now, I'm not sure. But in any event, uh, so I had to decide whether I would either punish him uh, or refer him for a court-martial, which would be a trial. Uh, As a commander, I had the authority to give him a certain amount of punishment. There there were very clear limits on what I could do and what I couldn't do. Uh, And the soldier, if he wanted, could demand a trial by court-martial instead of my punishment. Uh, But, you know, that's all... in any event, this is applied to pretty much any crime a soldier might commit uh, that the, the first line of 
punished or disciplined would be the commander. So let, let, let me let me let me ask a basic what might be a basic obvious question, but I don't know. How do you determine? Like, is it automatic? Like that if they're military, this is what applies. Period, or does it depend on where they are? Like, if they're on base versus they're like just in some random civilian place. Like, when does civilian law apply versus this? Yeah, you you can get punished twice, right? As an example, one of my nurses when I was at Fort Huachuca. Uh, had gotten a uh, a DUI uh, uh, ticket when she was in Germany. She was not drunk, but she had had one beer. But the German laws are much stricter than ours, and she tick she blew high enough that she got a ticket. Uh, no big deal. She paid. I think it was like a hundred dollar fine. Uh, but then her commander called her in and said, "This is terrible. My nurses should not be driving drunk." And hit her with another command, uh, another fine, and a letter of reprimand, uh, which meant that the next time she came up for promotion, she not only was not promoted, but she was fired because she had she was obviously not someone we wanted in the military. Uh, so you can be punished twice. So is it basically that you're almost always potentially liable for both? Like, you know, yes. you you. You, so you go out and kill somebody, the civilians get a shot at you and the military does too. If you kill somebody in the private sector, the the, the private sector will get the, to, to punish you. If, if they somehow clear you and, you and the command thing thinks that, gee, they shouldn't have done that, they might try you again, I think. Now, mm. that gets into double jeopardy. The, the UCMJ is part of the federal law system. And double jeopardy says you can be tried in a state and then in a federal for the same crime, but not twice right. in the federal. So if it was a federal that charged her and cleared her, uh, it cleared the guy. He would not. You couldn't try him again. Hmm. Okay. But it it gets and, and believe me, I'm not explaining this right because I'm not an attorney, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me a lot of the times. But <laughs> it's uh, you know, in any case, I, I guess the summary is that some of the time, if you are in the military, this code applies potentially in addition to whatever civil authority is also in play. Absolutely. Yep. And presumably there are some things that are illegal in this UCMJ that wouldn't necessarily even be a problem for a civilian. There are, there are a number of things that are crimes in the military that are not crimes in a, and there may be some that are crimes in a civilian sector that are not in the military. But anyway, one of the crimes that has been a real sore spot in a lot of people's things has to do with rape, uh, sexual assault, uh, and sexual demeaning, and the whole gamut of sexual type crimes. Uh, and commanders have have handled them, uh, and some commanders have been very rigid and very strict. And some commanders have said, "No, women are here to pleasure us, men, and you're you're all right." Uh, and this is not a good thing. I, I think in general, the the argument and what people have been reporting and complaining about for a long, long time here is that because it was sort of the commander's decision on what to do, that lots of times that when women would complain about these kinds of crimes, more often than not, their commanders, who were usually men, would just ignore it essentially yes. and say Absolutely. this isn't a serious thing we're not going to deal with it uh you know 
make up with them or it's not an issue. We're not going to deal with it. We're not going to go after him. Why would you want to ruin that young man's career based on this? And, and, and sometimes even retaliate against the women involved rather than publish the man publish rather than to punish the man at all. And, and so this was the rep that the military was getting over and over and over the last decade or so, there have been various attempts to fix this, but it was still a problem. So what's now happened? Well, what happened is in in uh, 2021, which is fairly soon after Biden was president, Congress passed a law saying that certain crimes should be taken out of the hands of the commander. Uh, those crimes would include murder uh, and sexual assault or rape. Um, now, in all honesty, murder was usually not in the hands of the uh, the uh, the commander anyway, because murder would fall into the seriousness of a crime where a general would have to convene a court martial. Not, you know, most most of we commanders were, were captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, and colonels. Uh, but it would uh, a general would have a uh, convening authority to call a court martial for murder. Uh, so it was really, we're talking about rape and sexual uh, uh, misadventures. Uh, rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment, yeah. all of those. And, kinds of things. and that sort of thing. Anyway, in any event, what's happened is Congress said, well, that's no longer going to be the case. And they passed that law and they said the president has until December of 2023 to enact this law, which is means that basically when Congress passes a law, that doesn't become effective yet. It has to have enabling regulations written. Uh, and that's what, in this case, would take a, a presidential executive order to the military saying that from now on, here's how these crimes will be managed. And they gave him two years to do that, and he did it in a year and a half because he published that executive uh regulation, uh, executive order uh, this past week. Uh, and and apparently from now on, uh, when a, it's not just an allegation. A woman can't say I was raped and it automatically immediately goes to this uh, uh, rape uh, authority. It'll have to go through some sort of an investigation. But basically, instead of the commander saying, well, I think, yes, we should send you to court martial or or I'm going to reduce you in rank or whatever else. Uh, it goes to a special board that is being established that will take care of sexual crime in the military. Probably a good idea, although I'm sure there's going to be some real startup problems. Uh, it weakens the command authority to some extent. Uh, and it, as an example, uh, soon after I took my first my, well, my second command, well, first command too, but when I took my command, I called my senior NCOs in and my uh, uh, administrative staff who were in charge of things. And I said, there's a few things that you folks need to take care of because if it comes to me, there will be punishment. And that is nobody harasses any of my troops for any reason, whether they're homosexuals, blacks, white, pink, whatever. Nobody harasses my soldiers, and you guys are to stop it. And if you can't, if you try to stop it and people ignore you, you bring it to me, and I will take care of it because it will be punishment. 
So, for example, we, we had a soldier in my command who had been uh, uh, charged with murder uh, and, and a couple other crimes, uh, but he was pending trial, and uh, I, I think actually he was pending court-martial. But in any event, he uh, was not being confined because we hadn't shown that he was a, a danger or a threat to run away. Uh, so he was confined to uh, the quarters, which was the barracks. Uh, and then one day, uh, his someone came in to see him to uh, to look for something in his room, and uh, it turned out that, that that he was in his room. He had told the uh, the guy in charge that he was actually visiting his lawyer, but he wasn't visiting his lawyer. He was in the room with the fifteen uh, year old daughter of the town mayor. Uh, based on that, we were able to put him in. Uh, uh, jail until such time as his trial occurred. We we didn't have a jail on that post, so he went to the community jail, and he spent there until he went to trial for court-martial. As far as I know, he's probably still in jail because he indeed, along with several other people, had committed a couple murders and, and other crimes. Uh, but all of this, the, the commander doesn't have a whole lot of control over that. And my point was, is that maybe, maybe it probably isn't as best that that each commander has their own way. Some commanders didn't care if you harassed their soldiers. Others, like me, felt that uh, that was my job, was to keep my soldiers from being harassed by anybody for whatever reason they might want. And, and that worked out pretty well as far as I was concerned. The new rule is that there is a special prosecution team to look into specifically uh, sexual related crimes and murders uh, are, are going to be included in that too, which sort of removes it. It's sort of like saying the town mayor can't investigate things. Uh, someone else, a district attorney, someone else is going to be doing it. Yeah. I mean, the, here's the thing, like even in completely civilian things, and it's it's actually one of the things that like pisses me off on a lot of TV shows that are like crime procedurals and stuff. Like I, I, I watch some of those and like in a variety of situations, they end up investigating like the murder of their friend or one of the suspects is somebody they know in most cases in the real world, you're not allowed. If you've got a personal involvement in a case, you should not be involved in that case. Absolutely. You know, and this seems like if it's a small command, you're kind of in that scenario where you have a relationship and you know the you know the person who's accused, you probably know the victim as well, and it seems only appropriate like that it gets handed off to somebody who doesn't have that personal connection so that they can be more objective. Like yeah. just as a general principle, not, not even on these specific crimes, but just as a more general principle, you know, the people investigating and the people serving judgment should be disinterested, not like people who are close to the people involved. Yeah. I mean, I know in like some scenarios, like if you're talking really minor things and blah, 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 maybe it makes sense to sort of have a self-policing community that can sort of deal with minor issues on their own. But for anything major, it seems like you've got a problem, you know, if, if, if the police know the suspect or the victim, you know, yeah. or the, or the, 
or the prosecutors or the judge or anybody else. And they just shouldn't, they, they should automatically be disqualified from being involved, you know? Yeah. I mean, frankly, I'm thinking that like, you know, we were talking about Trump in the last segment, like you shouldn't have a judge that you nominated you know, or even if you're a congressperson, if you voted on their nomination, they it's probably not a good match. You know, you want somebody who, uh, yeah, you just. But in any case, in this particular, yeah, it needs to be at least considered. Yeah, uh, and 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 this all gets back into uh, command and control, and the authority of the command and the responsibilities of command because there there's nothing really quite like command in the civilian sector. Hmm. Um, I have to say that my years in command, I, I had about five years total time in which which I was a commander. Uh, they were probably the highlight of my life hmm. because uh, you, you, you it, it's hard to describe just what it is, but it's it's a very rewarding experience. And if you do it right, which I think I did, uh, people really respect you for what you do. You're able to make a change in what happens. Uh, I, I made some, some I, I think, major changes in what was going on in our little healthcare system. Uh, and, uh, but on the other hand, uh, not all human beings are decent people, and some commanders are not either. And, and uh, there were some commanders uh, who clearly were, were dangerous, bad people. I, uh, you know, at my time, I, I was on the inspector general team for a while, and there were two people I recommended needed to be relieved of command because when we looked at, at what they were doing, I said these people are destructive and dangerous, and they they shouldn't be in they shouldn't have this authority and this power over other human beings, and and uh, so it's uh, it's a unique thing. There's nothing quite like it in civilian life, uh, in in its Partially because when you're in command in combat, uh, the rules are different, and uh, the commanders are you know have a, a certain amount of authority that can't be questioned. But anyway, I think yeah. I think in the in the long run, this is going to be a good thing. The military fought it for years. It's interesting to see that it was with the new administration that suddenly uh, the senior military leaders suddenly changed their mind. Hmm. And uh, I, I don't know why they changed their mind, but I know that as of 2021, there was a 180 degree change in most of the senior military who said, oh, yeah, this is the right way to do it. And it's gone through fairly quickly after that. Yeah, it's it seems like overall, this seems like it should be an improvement. Uh, of course, it. it all depends who's on that board that gets to look at these things, I guess. And we'll we'll see if the overall problem diminishes. I, I mean, there, there's some fundamental culture things that have to shift too, but I think they've been shifting. Like, you know, as, as there've been more women in the military and they've increased in rank over time and more diversity in general, um, o- over time, some of the culture is going to change. Now, of course, there are a bunch of people complaining that that culture is changing, but I think they're losing out in the end. And uh, I think that's good, but clearly there's a long way to go. I mean, uh, my wife was in the Navy way back when, and uh, she's told a variety of stories of how, uh, how as a woman in the Navy in that time, she was mistreated uh, in a whole bunch of different ways um, and not given the, 
consideration that one would expect and given judgments that were unfair and clearly gender biased. And uh, one would hope things have improved and will continue to improve. So. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it, it's uh, it, it, our lives are affected by, by, uh, by gender a lot. Uh, I, I frequently had people in my office that would come in on a, a one-on-one sort of thing. It was pretty rare when I had all the doors closed, if there was a female in there with me one-on-one. And if there was a female in there with me one-on-one, I stayed behind my desk. I did not go around uh, to be in the same side of the desk as they were, uh, simply because for their safety, my safety, and everybody's uh, sense of security, uh, generally I wanted a door open, even if there wasn't anyone else around. Right. Uh, simply because if the doors open, uh, she doesn't need to feel like maybe I'm going to come after her, and I don't need to feel like she's going to accuse me of having come after her. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a shame to have to live like that, but you do. Yeah, you have to keep that in mind all the time, I'm afraid. Okay, well, I think we are at the end of the show, Ed. Yep. So let me uh, start doing my end of the show spiel. Uh, please go to curmudgeons-corner.com. There you can see our archives for all these years and for the most recent episodes, also a transcript They are very exciting transcripts. You should check them out. Um, And also, of course, all the ways to contact me and Yvonne. Uh, We've got Mastodon. We've got Facebook. We've got email. You can get in touch with us all of those ways. Um, Ed is not on social media or any other thing. Mm -hmm. So if you you want to get in touch with Ed, contact me, and I will pass the message along. Um, Also on the site, you can go to our Patreon, where you can give us money. And uh, at various levels, we will mention you on the show. We will ring a bell. We will send you a postcard. We will send you a mug. And very importantly, at $2 a month or more, or if you ask nicely through any of those other ways, we will invite you to the Curmudgeon's Corner Slack, where Ed does participate regularly. Um, And uh, yeah, Uh, usually at this point, uh, Yvonne gives a story from the Curmudgeon's Corner Slack that we haven't talked about. Do you have one in mind, Ed, or should I do one? Well, I was just looking through to see, and and I'm not finding anything real quick offhand. Um, Well, I I will do one then. I'm prepared. Okay. Uh, Twitter is no more. Uh, Twitter has rebranded and renamed themselves it is now X. The company it, had officially renamed it. Whether they can use that? Well, well, here's the thing: they're doing it anyway. The question is whether anybody sues them over it. There are apparently multiple companies that have X trademarked in conjunction with various things, uh, including Meta, which is Facebook, for social media stuff. Uh, so. But they can choose, like, you know, do they go after them and sue them or do they let them just continue self-destructing on their own? Um, But yes, uh, uh, the social media platform does exist. It just no longer exists as Twitter. It has been renamed X. Uh, They are in the process of changing everything over to X. Um, The website happened first. Then uh, I believe the... The mobile apps have updated uh, at this point and are calling themselves X2. Um, 
you know, they're getting rid of the bird everywhere it appears. The word Twitter still appears in certain places, but they're working on it. So bottom line is yeah, those of you who are still sticking with Twitter, well, too bad. Twitter's gone. Now you're sticking with X. So enjoy X. Um, they're, yeah. So I tried Twitter a few times and I just found it boring and just not worth the effort. Uh, I am on Facebook, but I have a, a fairly limited number of people with whom I commune. Uh, if somebody indicates they want to become acquainted with me or a friend, uh, if they just send a friend request, I ignore it because uh, <laughs> I, I don't know who they are. If they send a friend request along with some sort of a little brief letter explaining who they are, I frequently will accept that then. But uh, mostly it's I keep in contact with some old friends and relatives and people like that. Uh, but I, I think I maybe have 40 or 50 people that I follow and that follow me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see your posts about, uh, you know, the, the birthdays of people in your family and uh, yeah. uh, some of your latest running exploits and things like that every once in a while. So um, anyway, yeah, I am beginning to run again. My foot gave out on me in June and it's it's finally feeling enough better that I'm starting to run a couple, three miles a week and hoping to start going to increasing that soon. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad you're glad that you are healing and getting better and accept. Yes. Uh, I should probably do more exercise myself, but. Well, you could come out and join us in, in the clothing optional race next month. Oh yeah. Well, I, I would, if I was on the same coast as you, I might do that actually. Um, <laughs> but you know, given that I'm not, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. But <laughs> there, there, are a few things that, there are a few things that are as much fun as running three and a half to four miles through the uh, forest and uh, trails uh, with no clothing on except your shoes and a hat. You know, I, I could walk that in that way that you're talking about. I don't think I, I, I actually will be walking most of it. I, <laughs> I'm 81. I don't run much. <laughs> yeah. Like I am so out of shape. Like I, I, I can walk a decent amount. But if I try to run or or even jog, I'm like I'm wiped out very quickly. I could I could not do miles. I probably should work on that. But you know, oh well. Uh, anyway, that's it for Commudgeon's Corner. Thank you, Ed, for joining us and filling in this week. I believe we will have Yvonne back next week. But as I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he's having some computer problems. He's ordered a new computer. I don't know if it'll be there in time or what alternatives he has if it's not, um, but we'll figure it all out. Uh, any case, hey, everyone. Well, first of all, Ed, once again, thank you for joining us. It's always fun when you're here. It's fun. I enjoy it. And with that, we are out of here. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Have a great week. and. Uh, Please join us again next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.